Hello Colts fans and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins. With me as usual is Mike Chappell. And today we are going to discuss some of the key moments in the Colts postseason loss to the Bills. I know, sad time for Indy fans. We'll definitely have to pour one out for the 2020 season. But more importantly, we'll look ahead to the future by discussing Indianapolis's off-season priorities. But as usual, we'll start first with the news. After Saturday's loss, the Colts draft position has been solidified. Indianapolis will have the 21st pick in the 2021 draft, one spot ahead of division rival Tennessee Titans, who lost on Sunday to Baltimore. The position, you know, clearly not what Colts fans hope for. They would hope to be picking 32nd overall, but with the early playoff exit, they are in position to either move up for a quarterback, get a left tackle. They have a lot of options on the board, and that's certainly going to be something we discuss as the offseason rolls along. Another thing, Mike, defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus has interviewed with the New York Jets for their head coaching position. He also has a request from the Chargers for an interview for their head coaching vacancy, but he turned down a request from the Houston Texans. That's according to reports from the Houston Chronicle. So, Mike, at very least, the Colts will not be losing Eberflus within the division. Yeah, and also you get to it, you got it on our, our list here. Ed Dodd's assistant GM is, is a hot topic. That's much more likely to happen, I think, losing Ed Dodd's at Eberfluss. And that's not to diminish uh, credentials at all. But Ed Dodd's is a guy, it, it's, you, you know you've got a good staff, whether that's coaching or personnel, when people want your people. That's, uh, you know, that, that's how it works. Remember when Gregson was here, he had Tom Telesco, and now Tom Telesco is running things out in with the Chargers. So I think it's not a matter of, of if Ed Dodds leaves, it's when, and maybe, maybe it's soon. Which, which would be good for him. Yeah, that would be a great opportunity for Ed Dodds or Matt Eberflus, should any get the uh, offer to take a step up in their position. Another thing on the docket here is a decision on whether to hold the NFL Combine will be made this week per multiple reports. The yearly event is held in Indianapolis and has been so for over the past 20 years, and it is a top opportunity for teams to evaluate draft prospects. Indianapolis is holding the NCAA's March Madness tournament come this spring, so it's not like Indianapolis believes they're incapable of trying to hold the event during the pandemic. I think, Mike, this will mainly can come down to if the NFL deems it'll be safe or not. Yeah, I, for at least a year, the combine will not be what we're used to it being. Uh, I, from talking to some people, this is primarily going to be, get, which, which it normally is, is getting the medical reviews and, and evaluations on players, which can be done uh, from different sites in remotely i i th there is there is so little possibility of bringing 300 plus plus players from all across the country and all of their communities in a thousand plus nfl types to the city it's not going to happen uh it's just going to have what you're going to have to decide is how do you, how do you accumulate medicals and, and then how do you how do you accumulate your, your your logistics of 
you know, of apical 40 times and all the physical. The thing about the combine is you've got everybody here and it's a level playing field. Well, once you start getting away from that, it's not a level playing field. But uh, for at least a year, this will be a combine like a combine experience like none other. So, Mike, without the combine, teams are going to have to rely much more on, you know, individual universities pro days, which anyone who follows the pre-draft process kind of knows those numbers can be skewed a little bit. Players tend to have better 40 times and other numbers at pro days. Do you think the NFL might do something like enhance the number of visits they can have with players because they won't have the combine? I think what you're going to see is, uh, I don't know how, how you'd phrase it, pods, as regional combine. Maybe that maybe there'll be four or eight regional combines to where you can, you can have Midwest players come to, in, I don't know, as far as workouts, have one where you can have X number of areas in a, in a, in a region, Southwest, Northwest, you know, whatever, as opposed, you, you simply can't have, you can't go on one or 200 pro days compare because then you're comparing apples and, you know, aardvarks. It's, it's not the same, like you said. So I think they'll try to, to, to uh, standardize as much as they can w- with X number of teams and X number of areas but this is really gonna. This is really, really gonna put a premium on on how good your your scouting staff is, because again, you're not gonna have totally standardized numbers. You're just not. Now you'll have the height to weight and all that kind of stuff, but the eye test won't be there. So I, I'm curious to see how they do the physical. When I say physical, on field side of things. Because you want to have it standardized as much as you can, but it's not going to be like it's been for the last 20-plus years. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, no doubt. I guess it's appropriate that an NFL season like no no other is followed up by an NFL offseason like no other. Uh, Another last note we have here is that the Eagles have fired their head coach, Doug Peterson. I bring this up because we spent some time talking about it last week after the Eagles fired several of their uh, coordinators and other members of their staff, uh, staff that Frank Wright used to be a part of in Philadelphia, and it's all kind of gone downhill for them since Wright left after their Super Bowl victory. Side note to Peters, they won the Super Bowl in 2017? I believe so. So, so I mean, it, t- it tells you how quickly uh, things can change when a coach wins the Super Bowl in, in the 17th season. And four years later, he's out, he's out of work. And he won't be out of work for long. He, he, he'll be a hot commodity. But it shows you the, uh, I don't say lack of patience, but how owners uh, really don't like slippage in their in the old sustained success continuum. Yeah, certainly more patience at the beginning when there's a buildup, less so when you've you know shown you can do it and then you kind of fall off. So uh, exactly how quickly things change in the NFL. Uh, in Buffalo, the seven-seed Colts visit the Bills, who were the two-seed in the AFC. I'm sure the wound is still fresh for many Colts fans, so we will not recap the entire game, but rather discuss some of the more key moments. And the first one I want to talk about, Mike, is the Colts' decision to go for it near the goal line. At this point in the game, the score is 10-7. to 7. Colts, there's about two minutes left before the half. Colts 
already had to settle for one field goal after previously having the ball first down at the Bills' 15. Uh, They ended up kicking that with Blankenship. The Colts' defense had played well at this point. Uh, They'd forced a three and out on three of the Bills' four first drives. So the Colts' defense playing really well. On first down and goal from the four, Colts run Taylor up the middle. He gains two. Second down, direct snap to Nehem Hines, who gains just one yard. On third and goal, they pitch it to Taylor to the left side, and he loses three yards. Now it's fourth and goal from the four. They decide to go for it. The Colts, you know, clearly pass the ball with that amount of distance. Rivers has pressure, and he backs up seemingly 20 yards to buy himself some more time. Heaves it to the end zone. Michael Pittman Jr. is there in the back left of the end zone in the ball. Just kind of goes off the fingertips. He lays out for it. So close to being a touchdown, but it falls incomplete, and it's a turnover on downs. Mike, I wanted to get your thoughts on not only the call to go for it, but the play calling all together in that sequence. Well, this this is football 101. Whenever it doesn't work, you should have done something else. You know, hindsight's a, a great quality to have. I wasn't surprised. You know, I, I even tweeted out during when they were getting close that this is probably four down territory. But I also mentioned barring a negative play. So I, I was fine w- w- with what they were doing. But once they lost the three yards on the pitch, I would have kicked it. I just would have kicked it. Uh, and on the play called the pitch, th- this is one where you're trying to, you know, Frank said that, you know, football's a, t- a game of tendencies. He said, we've never run that play down there. Never. This season, we did not run that play. So you're, you're not expecting that Buffalo is t- anticipating it. And in hindsight, Frank said, if you go, if you go for it like they did, Maybe they should have gone up the middle. He said, "Well, having said that, remember when they went for they they took the PAT off the field off, off the board and went for two points later." He said, "We went up the middle and got stuffed." So uh, it, it's it's damned if you do and damned if you don't. And if it works, you're a hero. And if not, people are criticizing you. I would have taken the points. You know, he, he and again his rationale was the defense was playing great. It was playing really really good, and you're going to give them the ball if you fail at the four yard line. So you would think that at worst, Buffalo will be somewhat conservative and not score. Uh, and keep in mind, let's say they kick the, the the field goal and it's what thirteen to seven. Who's to say the Bills don't go down, don't drive on a shorter field and score? And keep in mind on that drive, it was kept alive twice by what, an inch, two inches on the sideline. With, with 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 the uh, you know the the third down play that um, started the Bills drive. drive, yeah, I mean, didn't it look like Josh Allen was throwing a ball out of bounds on third and whatever it was to start the drive? Yeah, and the receiver twice the receiver twice made just incredible catches. You know, again, I'm talking a half of an inch. So, and, and that's not to defend what went on, but but I I I do contend that if they kick the field goal and Buffalo gets the ball at say the 25. They're probably going to score, maybe even a field goal. But in hindsight, I take the points, especially after the the the, the minus three by Taylor. I, it's I don't care what the analytics are. I I would have taken points there. Yeah, my thing was I have no problem at all going for it on fourth down. Uh, I was pulling for them to go for it even after they lost the yards. 
I was kind of scratching my head. I was begging for them on that third down play to throw the ball. I mean, if you think you have four tries near the goal line, at least one of them should be a pass. And then once you're backed up on fourth down from the four, they know you're going to throw it or at least 90% chance. Um, I mean, is it so much to ask for a play-action pass near the goal line? And we've seen that work so many times with other teams. I was really hoping for a pass in that situation. But then again, you know, like you remembered Frank Wright saying, he was trying to go outside of tendencies with the pitch. If it doesn't work, you're an idiot. If it does work, you're a genius. Um, But I just thought that it was interesting because it made so much noise on Twitter and on the broadcast. They were calling for him to kick the field goal as well. Um, but like you said, the next drive, Bills went 94 yards in less than a minute and a half. Two incredible catches by Gabriel Davis. Two interceptions that the Colts almost had were taken away. The one Josh Allen just kind of threw up because it was offside. He knew he had a free play. But then Isaiah Rogers made a great diving almost catch. Uh, it ended up being overturned. So after the Bills scored the touchdown, they went into halftime with a 14-10 to 10 lead over Indianapolis. Coming out of the half, Buffalo scored a field goal to begin uh, the second half of the ball game. The Colts driving, and they have a first and 10 at the Bills 18, but the drive stalls when Rivers throws a pass behind and open Michael Pittman Jr. on third down. Hot Rod would then go cold and doink a 33-yard field goal off the right upright. And then the Bills would score a touchdown on their next drive, making it 24-10 to 10 at this point. Momentum on Buffalo's side. They've scored 17 unanswered points. Colts are now down 14 in the fourth quarter. All of a sudden, the Colts' offense would wake up, and they would score in a hurry. The Colts go 75 yards in 2 minutes and 38 seconds. It's finished off by a 9-yard touchdown pass to Zach Paschal. And then on the point after try, a penalty brings the ball from the two-yard line to the one. And with one less yard to have to pick up, Frank Wright opts to go for the two-point conversion. It fails, and the Colts are still down eight, 24 to 16. Mike, your thoughts on the two-point conversion? Uh, I, I don't always understand analytics. I, I just don't. Uh kick the field goal or, or kick the extra point and keep yourself sort of in sequence and not be chasing points. I, I don't know. And that's one, again, where I mentioned where Frank said, you know, he thought about running the ball up the middle on the fourth and, or that was it the fourth, the, the, the fourth and one, whatever it was at the goal line and instead of the pitch and they got stuff. So I, I guess late in the game like that, I take points. I was watching the Pittsburgh game last night and, trying to figure out what they're doing, two points, one point, whatever, not kicking field goals and all that. So I, I, I just tend to take points unless it really makes sense to not take points. Yeah, this one I probably would have taken points as well, but I understand what Frank Wright is doing because at this point in the ball game, you're down two touchdowns, and I kind of held the position on that second touchdown instead of tying the game. Go for two and just try and end it right there because Josh Allen is that dangerous. I'd rather go for two and try and win it there than go into overtime. And then, so if in Wright's mind he's going to go for two on one of these two touchdowns, he'd rather go for two on the one rather than go for two on the two-yard line. And so I think that was the rationale behind it. Um, Later in the game on the other touchdown, they ended up making the two-point conversion, so it didn't really matter in that aspect. But that was another interesting call that definitely uh, got a lot of 
tension on Twitter. All right, so the Colts down eight. The Bills are driving, but a big third down stop at their 36. Sets up fourth down for Buffalo. The Bills opt to attempt a 54-yard field goal by their rookie kicker, Tyler Bass. He knocks it through. It's 27-16. to Colts down by 11 points with about nine minutes left. But the offense gets back to work. The Colts go 76 yards in a minute and 55 seconds. It's capped off by a 27-yard Jack Doyle touchdown. This brings Indianapolis within reach. Like I said previously, this two-point conversion is successful. 27-24 to Colts. A little over six minutes left in the game. The Colts are down by just three. But their defense needs to stop. And at the beginning of the drive, it's not looking good. Buffalo picks up three first downs. But on first and 10 at the Colts' 34-yard line, Josh Allen is sacked by Danico Autry, who forces a ball out. There's a scramble for the rock. Eventually, the Bills come up with it at their 43-yard line. They lost of 23 yards. Huge play for the Indianapolis Colts when they needed it most. Uh, it would have been incredible to get the fumble there, but even the sack and the loss of yards eventually sets up a punt. After the second and 33 completion, Devin Singletary catches it, and the Colts choose to use their last timeout to stop the clock. Maybe I'm the only one, but I kind of found this interesting, Mike. I thought maybe you keep that timeout in your back pocket, let the clock go down to two minutes, and you have two minutes to score with one timeout so that the entire field is still open to you to try and set up a field goal or a touchdown. What were your thoughts? Were you fine with using your final timeout there to save 38 seconds? Well, the one the one that bothered me was earlier in the quarter when when they was it the first or second play of the quarter when he challenged the fumble by was it Moss or Singletary? Uh, and, and and he I think he sort of admitted that was a mistake. He, they, they sort of saw they saw what what wasn't there, I guess, and whether that came from the booth or whatever. But no question, if they just had had one of those timeouts. On that last drive, you're not forcing the ball to the sidelines. You've got the whole field. I see your point. Uh, you're in scramble mode anyway, but every 10 seconds, 15 seconds is so vital. Either one of those situations would have been nice to have that, that timeout back in your pocket when you're going down and only need a field goal. Yeah, but regardless, they had a chance at the end. Uh, Naheem Hines fair catches the punt at the 14-yard line. The Colts have two and a half minutes left to make something happen. They would convert on fourth down twice, including a controversial call. Uh, Fourth and 10, Zach Paschal makes a sliding 17-yard catch. But then he tries to get up and run with it, and the ball is knocked out of his hands, recovered by Buffalo. The ruling on the field is that he was touched down. He was down by contact before he got up and tried to run. They kind of reviewed that, and I guess the official says there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it. Luckily for Indianapolis, because in my opinion, it looked like he got up and fumbled. Um, but it wouldn't matter in the end because there was only 28 seconds left. First down at the Bills' 48-yard line, the Colts would fail to gain another yard. Hail Mary heave on the final play for the Colts is knocked down in the end zone, and the Colts lose a heartbreaker 27-24. to I saw our uh, friend Mike Wells noted on Twitter that the Colts are the first team to lose in playoff history with 450-plus total yards and zero turnovers. Teams were previously 11-0 when hitting those marks. Colts had a season-high 417 
two total yards. All in all, Rivers played pretty well, 27-46, 309 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Both Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines topped 70 yards. But what killed them was in the red zone. And this is one of our keys to the game when we were previewing the matchup last week. Colts just two of five in the red zone. Uh, too many times they would move the ball and get into Buffalo territory and come away with either no points or just a field goal. Another issue was the Colts had just two sacks and they both came on the Bills' final drive. Indianapolis struggled <clears throat> excuse me, to put pressure on Josh Allen for the majority of the game. Mike, in my opinion, all in all, the Colts played a really good game in this one, but it was not enough to overcome elite competition. I think if you step back and try to be really objective about it, the Colts outplayed Buffalo. They just, they just did. From, from start to finish, in, in, in every – it was not like they dominated at all. But we talked about the blueprint, what you wanted to do. They did it probably everything they wanted to do. I really believe that. You know, Taylor didn't get 30 carries, no, but they, but they got 150, 60 yards from Taylor and Hines. Didn't turn the ball over. But it, it, it's the big, it's, you know, how'd you like the, the play, Mrs. Link? And well, except for the gunshot, you know, it's, I really enjoyed <laughs> it. But, but when you have two for five on in red zone, I think they scored 16 points in the red zone. Well, if you kick five field goals, you get, you get 15. So, so that's not enough. You can't have empty, empty possessions in the red zone. Five or six or seven, depending on how many, how hard you want to grade drop passes. Uh, by, by people who don't normally drop it. Naheem Hines had a monster one late. Uh, Taylor had one early. It was his first drop of the season. T.Y. had one that was kind of tough, but Pro Bowl receivers make him. Kamoko Ture jumping off sides was just incredibly bad. Uh, it, it was clear that Buffalo was going to take a field goal at the end of the half. And the play clock's nearly at the end, and he jumps. We asked uh, DeForest Buckner after the game about that, about, you know, weren't you guys just sort of, you knew what they were doing, and that was a bad play, and all he said was, yeah. So, it was, you know, if, if looks could kill, to make go Kamoko Ture would, you know, be in dire straits right now. Uh, you, you just can't have mistakes. And, and, again, we knew that Josh Allen – was at his most dangerous outside the pocket, extending plays. And there had to be a half a dozen plays where either he, he ran or on, on the drive at the end of the first half, great containment. And somehow, great quarterbacks make great plays, and he did. It's just you're going to walk away from this thing thinking, what if? What if you had done three or four things differently, whether it's a coaching call? whether it's an execution, whether it's Philip Rivers hitting Michael Pittman in the corner uh, of, the, of the end zone. But but it's what it is, and the Colts fans will have to take solace in the fact that they, they played, you know, the number two seed on, on their turf toe-to-toe but made too many mistakes. Yeah, I uh, noted after the game that this wasn't so much that the Buffalo Bills won, but the Colts lost it. So many opportunities and so many things. I can't, it's a game of inches. It's a game of micro inches with Gabriel Davis's feet on the sidelines. Uh, Isaiah Rogers barely not coming up with the interception in the end zone before the half. Blankenship 
doinking a field goal off the upright. There were so many, you mentioned Michael Pittman Jr. laying out in the end zone just off his fingertips. The Colts were so close so many times, and it just went the wrong way from them. Really disappointing. But all in all, Mike, again, Indianapolis, they went 11-5 and in the regular season. They made the postseason. That's something that they could not say about last year. Do you consider the 2020 season a success for the Colts? Since it's a yes or no question, I'd say yes. Uh, let's go back again. And it's so hard to say. It's so hard to for fans and media and everybody to be objective when it's still so fresh. And, and knowing that not that much had to change for you to still be playing this week. Uh, but I'll go back and I'll put it this way. If, if in August you told these guys, we're going to have a 39-year-old quarterback, they're going to go 11-5, and five. You're going to make the playoffs. Yes, it was with a third wild card, but that 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 was the that that was the uh, the way the league was set up. And you've got the ball with two minutes to play, and you're down 24, 20, 27, 24. Regardless of what happens, is that a successful season? You're going to say yes. Uh, the, I think what's important is for eleven and five and a first round playoff loss. That needs to be the floor. That needs to be the floor of your expectations. And anything less than that, you you need to be PO'd about it. You, you just need to. You, you've got to have high expectations. And, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing for the fan base and the media and everyone else to be critical and, and say you didn't, you didn't fulfill what you should have. Because anyone that sits there and says, the Las Vegas Raiders, they were 8-8. Eight eight. It was a good season. No, it wasn't. Uh, but but it, you cannot be satisfied with mediocrity. You can't be. And that's why they've got, and we'll get into it either later in a minute or, or in the next few weeks, they've got decisions because this team is built to win now. There are pieces in place, the necessary pieces in place, many, to win now. This isn't a three-year, two-year rebuild. So this will be one of the more important off-seasons for Chris Ballard and Frank Wright. It sure will. And before we move on, I think that's a good way to put it. It was a successful season, but it wasn't a satisfying season. This was not the end goal. It never was the end goal. But if you ask people before the year, you know, I saw someone note on Twitter, if you don't win the Super Bowl, it's not a successful season. Well, then that means 31 teams had a failure of a season every year. I, I don't consider that to be the case. No one going into the year thought Indianapolis was going to be serious Super Bowl contenders. Um, so I, I think all in all, they exceeded expectations and 11 and five record probably made you money in Las Vegas before the year. Uh, so I think, like you said, this needs to be the floor. The Colts built on what they accomplished last year, and they need to build on what they accomplished this year in 2021. And to do that, they have a few priorities that they need to take care of in the offseason. Number one priority, Mike, I don't think you disagree. Figure out the quarterback position. Philip Rivers' contract is up. He may retire. He may come back. Uh, head coach Frank Wright said on Sunday, quote, as I sit here today right now, yes, I want Philip Rivers to be my starting quarterback next year, end quote. So I guess the decision with Rivers will come down to, hey, if he chooses to come back and play in 2021, and then B, what other options are available 
to the Colts. Mike, how do you look at the quarterback position entering the offseason? If you put a gun to Chris Ballard's head right now today, said sign Rivers or don't sign Rivers, and those are your only two options, then you sign him. But the problem is you don't know you don't know what the market's going to be. You don't know what plans B, C, and D and all that is because you don't know. You know, with Doug Peterson being gone in Philly, is that a, a, a complete reboot now? Do they move on from Wentz? And we know his history with Frank Reich. Pete, one thing, please. Deshaun Watson is the only way he comes to Indy is if he's got a reservation in St. Elmo's. He, he's not coming to Indy <laughs> to play football. So, so, but but again, there 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 might be options out there. Matthew Stafford, Sam Darnold, and we can argue the strength of it. One of the problems of of being a a competitive playoff team is you're drafting in the twenties. You know, it, it just comes with it. Uh, you know, previously the Colts were fortunate with their timing of being awful and Peyton Manning's there, and then being awful. And Andrew Lux there. Uh, but it, it, if you're a good team, you know, it doesn't help you in the draft. And to, 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 let's say that Ballard targets the fourth quarterback in the draft, whomever, whoever that is. I've not looked into it enough. That means probably getting, what, in the top ten? Uh, and to move up that high for a quarterback, people are going to hold you hostage. So, uh his balancing act, and it, and it is, and I tell you, Andrew Luck put him in this position. He simply did. Retiring Andrew Luck put them in this position. Uh, again, 28, what are they, 28 and 18, 28 and 20, I guess Frank is, in three years with three different starting quarterbacks. But what, 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 they've, got, what they've got to decide is River's back, you're kicking the can down the, the road again. How do you address the short-term competitiveness to this team with the long-term future. Philip Rivers isn't, you know, he's not the long-term answer. So how do you, how do you, how do you bring him back for one more year, and at the same time prepare for life after Philip Rivers? It's, it's the one place you really don't want to be as a franchise. But here they are, and I, I just again without knowing what the other options are, Philip Rivers is your best option. I think he wants to play again. I really do. And, again, another one of our segments later on will be how do you make it work with the cap? The cap's going to be – they're going to have about $58, $60 million of cap space. He'll take half of it. He'll take $5 million roughly. Uh, but, again, whomever you bring in as a veteran court, a good portion of your available cap space. So how do you, how do you plan for 2021? Yeah, that's something – that we're definitely going to get more into as the offseason moves along. We'll have plenty of weeks to really dissect all the options that the Colts have at their disposal as that evolves. Number two priority, determine the succession plan at left tackle for Anthony Costanzo. AC almost retired last offseason, and he could do so again this offseason. He recently had surgery to repair his injured ankle. Even if he returns in 2021, this is the final year of his contract, and it appears very unlikely he's going to play beyond that. Uh, Mike, I saw you note on Twitter that Reich said if Costanza were to retire, Quentin Nelson would be given consideration to move over to left tackle. The team believes that Q has a skill level to do that. It, it, 
that would be very surprising to me to see them move him over to full-time left tackle, but I do think he is talented enough to get the job done there, and then you slide someone else in, maybe a Danny Pinter at guard. Uh, but it definitely seems that, if not quarterback, the Colts need to be drafting a left tackle of the future in this 2021 draft. Do you agree, Mike? Yeah, it, it's hard to know how the dominoes need to fall. I'm thinking the first one to fall would be some news on Costanzo from Costanzo that he wants to play again. One thing to keep in mind is when a player, and we don't know how serious he was last year at considering retirement, but the fact that he considered it means that he, he'll consider it again. It, it's just That's just the way it works. If he comes back, can you delay that or not? Or, or do you have to find, if he comes back, it allows you to delay that decision if you want to. Now, I'm not sure that's the smartest thing to do, uh, but it, it would allow you to find, you know, that first pick on a pass rusher, which they've had awful, not awful, but they've not had good success finding a pass rusher in the draft. They bring Justin Houston back. So uh, at least Costanzo, if he returns, it at least allows you to push it back a year if you want to. Again, I'm not sure that would be the smart thing to do. And, and if he's not back, then then that's, after quarterback, that's your first priority. This offense has been proven that it doesn't work without Costanzo or a, or a legitimate left tackle in, in place. It, the, the numbers are just too glaring to argue otherwise. Uh, I, I And I couldn't begin to tell you, 50-50, I don't know. Whether, whether the fact that that he missed the last part of the season with the ankle and the knee during the season, uh, I, I don't believe he's, he's worn down. Uh, it's, it's just going to be whatever he considered last year, how those impact this year. But again, any time a player consider retirement one year, to think he's not considering again uh, would be wrong. That brings us to priority number three, and that will be decisions on expiring contracts. Mike, you said uh, Justin Houston, his contract is up. Do they bring him back or not? He's been pretty productive in his two years in an Indianapolis Colts uniform. We already mentioned Phillip Rivers. A decision will need, need to be made on him. Jacoby Brissett, backup quarterback, is a free agent. Probably unlikely he'll be back. T.Y. Hilton's a free agent. Danico Autry's a free agent. Anthony Walker, Xavier Rhodes, T.J. Carey, Marlon Mack, Malik Hooker, the Raven Clark, and Trey Burton. Those are some pretty significant uh, contributors to this Colts team, Mike. You have to think at least a handful of these guys are players that Chris Ballard will need to spend his money on. Yeah, we, and again, talking to Frank on, on, on Sunday... He said, I want, I want all these guys back. He said, I thought we had the players in that locker room to win a world championship. And he believed it. Now, we could argue what, what was missing or whatever. But the, the, the problem is, again, let's say $60 million cap space. Now, you can do a lot of funny things with the cap. You really can. You can push money forward and all this. But if Rivers comes back on a one-year deal, it's going to be for $25, $30 million. That's, you can't, you know, that, that's what it is. Uh, now, with other guys, T.Y., you can give him a three-year deal. It's really a two-year deal, and you're not hurt. But the cap, will it, it's not going up this year like always. It's going to go down, which, which puts teams in a bind. But it's also going to make the free agent market 
not what it once, not what it usually is. There'll be a few guys who get who get the big paydays because teams make that work out. But it's going to be hard for a player to say, you know, I'll go out there, I'll get my money on the free agent market. Well, unless you're that, you know, that that top level elite player, you might not. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, I, I I would say he needs to come back. He'll come back on the Colts' time. Does he think he can cash in out there? I don't know. I don't see Brissett coming back. Uh, Danico Autry, he's he's like Jabal. He, he's a better Jabal shared. He was a great acquisition three years ago. Anthony Walker, I don't see how he comes back. I, I just don't. He's at the – and I'm not saying he's not a good player. He is. He's at the least prioritized linebacker position. And Bobby Okariki's emergence makes him expendable. So Xavier Rhodes wants to have a big contract. There's only so much money. And in, not even on this list, are you going to try to extend Darius Leonard? Are you going to try to extend Braden Smith? Are you going to try to extend Naheem Hines? There's only so much of the cap space to go around. Only so much to cap space. Cap space. Oh, I can't talk today. To go around. We'll have plenty of time to discuss this in future shows. We will be back next week. No Thursday or Wednesday show because there's no game to preview this week. We will be back next week to discuss all of this. Before we go today, Mike, with the Colts eliminated, is there a specific team that you're pulling for in the playoffs? Not really. I I I I, I want to like Buffalo or uh, Baltimore, just because of the uniqueness of who they are. But boy, Josh Allen is fun to watch. Maybe maybe I'll get on the Buffalo bandwagon, not because they beat the Colts and all that stuff, but it, it's really. And what's cool is look, look if I'm not mistaken, are all, all four quarterbacks in the AFC like young kids? Aren't they all like 26 and younger? Uh, yeah, I know uh, Mayfield, Allen, and Jackson were all selected in that same draft just a few years ago, and I think Mahomes was a year previous. So, so the and, and that I tell you, and that just amplifies the Colts' predicament even more. Is there you know so many of the top teams have their guys, so that's why you've got to get that fixed. But I just think we're at the point now where it's really cool, and and then the NFC's got all the the old men playing, which is really kind of. Funky to see, except for uh, Jared Goff. They're all a bunch of 40-year-old guys slinging the ball around. But uh, I, th- this is a cool time. Uh, I, I will probably be more intent on watching Buffalo because I think J- Josh Allen is such a fun player to watch play. Yeah, that Buffalo-Baltimore game on Saturday night is going to be a lot of fireworks in that one, that's for sure. If I had to pick a team... I- I like the underdogs, and man, the Browns have not been in the playoffs in so long. I know a lot of people don't like them. Maybe I'm a rarity in the fact that I do kind of like uh, Baker Mayfield and his moxie and his uh, fiery demeanor. So I'll be rooting for the Browns to see how far they can go, just because that fan base has suffered for so long. Uh, but that'll that'll just about do it for us today on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Like I said, we will be back next week to talk all things off season. Please follow us on Twitter. Mike's at mchapel51. I'm at Roto Street Joe. You can follow the Colts Blue Zone for all things Colts related at Colts Blue Zone. And if you're not already, please subscribe and download. That's how we get our numbers. That's how we continue to do what we do. So again, thanks for listening. And until next time, Colts fan, this has been the Colts Blue Zone podcast. 